Welcome to the special Clock Talk Live in London, where we capture the magic, ideas, and experiences of the 2022 Clock EMEA Summit. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. Colin Mento, welcome to the Clock EMEA Summit London podcast studio. How are you, sir? I'm fabulous. Absolutely blooming. You're blooming. You were blooming for so many reasons. Number one, you just wrapped up your session. Now, you were one of our breakout speakers. Tell our not live studio audience, what was your topic you talked about in the breakout today? If I could, I would drum roll here because it's not matter management or our typical topics at such conferences. Please tell us your topic and the thesis behind it. Okay. So the topic was avoiding burnout and focusing on mental well-being. Oh, okay. There it is. The plane just landed. Avoiding burnout. Now, Colin, you and I chatted in the lobby once today, somewhere else. I popped into your session. There's so much goodness. I don't even know where to start other than a story. Why are you so passionate about burnout? What happened? How did you get here? Tell us the truth. Tell us the whole truth. Yeah, the whole nine yards. So burnout, it means different things to different people. My burnout is the fact that I have severe issues with OCD. So obsessive compulsive disorder. Other people will have severe issues with anxiety. Other people will work so hard to physical exhaustion. But my passion comes from the fact that I'm mentally ill. Uh, Apparently I have brain malfunction. I'm negative, negative, negative. I'm a burden to society because I have a mental health condition. So I just don't like that labeling. And I've got to a point in business, in life where you know, I'm comfortable and I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I realized the superpowers that my illness, let's be honest, it's an illness, gives me. And I wouldn't be the same person I am now if I didn't have those superpowers. So I don't want to have OCD, but if I didn't have OCD, I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you on this podcast because I've got some really amazing superpowers that I've leveraged to perform in business. So I'm just super public and open about everything to do with OCD to try and get more people to be more open about any form of difference because difference is awesome and it gives us what makes us unique. Neurodiversity is the term you're talking about. So it's differences in others on the neurological brain spectrum, so to speak. So it's having a mental health condition or a mental illness or a phase of depression or OCD as an ongoing diagnosis. And not only you're talking to me on the podcast about it, but you just inspired about at least 60 people in that room. And I think putting it to words and standing confidently in front of people is so powerful. Tell me what they were saying to you after the session I just picked you up at. So at the end of my session, a lot of people come up and talk to me. And one lady said that I was inspirational. Yeah which just blows my mind. And not that he's blowing, it just blows my mind because I don't necessarily think I am inspirational. I'm just trying to tell a story to get more people to tell a story and not discriminate and not think negatively about trials and tribulations that people have. So other people saying that they've got particular issues in their business with retention issues, they're losing staff. And it's like, well, okay, look at the slides that I've given you for the very reasons I've highlighted. That's why people are saying, no, I don't want this anymore. I'm going somewhere else. So 
I love helping people. And I just get people coming up to me and saying, A, I've helped and B, can you help me further? And that's just incredible for me. I think there's been such a stigma around mental health from the history of mental health perspective. When you even look back, I don't know in the UK and abroad from the US, if they treat the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual of Conditions and Diagnoses, I don't know if it's the same guide you all follow here, but some of the things that used to be in the DSM back in the day were not things that are in the DSM anymore, right? So we're still evolving along this spectrum of understanding mental health more. And people like you standing up going, hey, I'm someone who has it. I've learned to manage it. Solutions in this space look like ABC. And not only does it benefit you to know the story, but you're leading teams of people. And odds are, if you're alive, one of these ailments, whether it's situational, temporary, or connected to you for the journey of life, someone you manage or lead or work with is going to have this. And you need to know how to respond to neurodiversity in a positive way, in a welcoming way, in a nurturing way. And so let me point the question back to you. Did you always know you had this or is this a new journey? At the age of 10, I started panicking that I had HIV and AIDS because the Sun newspaper in the UK launched a big article about it saying the new pandemic. So I'm 49 years old. So this was quite a while ago. And that was closer to the heart of the AIDS endemic or the AIDS crisis. Absolutely. When that all started. So I started checking myself for symptoms for it and was panicking that I actually had contracted HIV and AIDS. That is a time where I could have had some intervention from the medical profession to take me on a journey to understand that it was my brain playing tricks on me and I didn't need to engage with it. And if I did X, Y, Z, I'd actually be able to control this. However, I got misdiagnosed. It wasn't until I was 25 that I got diagnosed with OCD. They always thought it was general anxiety disorder. So going back to your point, the book is changing with regards to all the different symptoms. I talk really openly about my symptoms. It scares the life out of people. It shocks people. I generally panic at different times about, am I capable of killing people? Am I capable of abusing people? Am I a rapist? Am I going to die of HIV because I've scratched myself? These are things that are not real. In fact, the complete reverse is the truth. So people like Florence Nightingale supposedly had OCD. She's a lovely person. I'm a lovely person. And if we get time, I'll tell you how I proved I was a lovely person with Florence Nightingale as well. Because I did something <laughs> a little while back, well, a few days ago, and I had a real revelation moment for that. But we don't talk about this stuff. If I'd have gone to the medical profession 20 years ago saying, I have concerns that I might kill people, I actually seen reports where people get sectioned or they call the police. Institutionalized. I mean, that was- Because they had those thoughts. I'm not going to say anything there. That's the dark history of psychological approaches of the 1940s and 50s and 60s. At least I know this at depth on the US side, is that if you said something, you can get sucked into a shoot of institutionalizing and going to a place that does not help, that we've learned in a very young time and- 50 to 60 to 70 years, how to better work with this, but we're still learning. And I think that this is a big turning point in us as a culture and species right now to understand this more and have people like you just standing up and normalizing it. And someone actually said to me in England this week, 
If you don't have a mental illness at some point, are you even living? (laughs) Brains need to break. We all go through tremendous events in our lives, many of which we can't control. Trauma that happens to us that we can't control and or being born with a genetic predisposition to something. Maybe it runs in the family and... How do we work with this and not against it and showcase it and not hide it? And your whole session today was just you availing that to a room of people, which I think is why it's so inspiring. Thank you. And I had a conversation with a mum a little while back who told me that her 18-year-old daughter was going back to college and she was suffering really badly with anxiety. She's going back to college and I said, look, I had this journey with meds. I didn't want to take meds. They made me impotent when I was younger. And I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm having it again when I took meds this time. But I persevered in the end and I got through it. And they've been a huge, huge support to me this time around. And she said, no, no, I've, I've had that conversation with her. She's worried about what her friends might think. She's also worried it might impact on her becoming a doctor because that's what she wants to do. She's been taking antidepressants. And I went, she's 18 years old. It's 2022, right? Why are we still here? Yeah. Why am I still having those? I'm so open. People will open up to me. And I don't know how many people are out there being so open about OCD, but now I'm doing it. People are opening up to me and it scares the life out of me how little is known about this and other conditions as well. And what people think, two people have said to me, how did I catch it? And that just blew my, you can't catch OCD. OCD, you're born with it. It's implanted. Yes. But this is the lack of understanding, not just for OCD, but other things as well, because no one's really wanted to talk about it. So I'm hopefully going to encourage others to feel strong enough to talk about it. Talk and learn and listen. The more we can, the more we can destigmatize. And let's turn this, Colin, right into sort of the topic du jour I gleaned out of your presentation after your bold storytelling was, let's talk about stress. And you put up some pretty staggering statistics about absenteeism in the workplace. Almost half of it, 50% of it is attributed to stress. And stress unmanaged can accumulate to a place where it puts even the best intention, best health, goes to the gym every day, sound life, calm. Stress unmanaged can push someone into the category of mental illness, Mm -hmm. sort of a situational way. Tell me more about what you know about stress and how do we identify that in our teams? Yeah. So look, 45% is what's registered. People don't necessarily say, oh, I'm stressed and go and get a diagnosis for stress because they still feel it might be seen as a weakness. So 45% is the minimum amount of impact. So stress, basically, stress is when you put yourself under too much pressure and pressure you put yourself under. We have to. We're humans. We thrive on it as well. We need to satisfy our drive mechanism, our drive system by putting ourselves under a bit of pressure and to achieve. But if you put yourself under too much pressure for a range of reasons, and I covered loads of them, so you've got loads of responsibility in business, but no authority. You're being treated unfairly. You're being asked to work unsociable hours. You don't necessarily know what your role is or what your purpose is. There's all things that drive stress as well as personal issues as well. Now, once you experience them for a period of time. Chemicals are released into your body and then your body starts to shut down and tries to protect you. Mine protects me with OCD. Weirdly, it's doing its job. It's just misfiring. 
other people, it will shut them down so in terms of cognitive and physical. An extreme stress response for you or someone with an OCD or a similar axis of OCD, it can activate Absolutely. symptoms. Yes. And then off you go and you have to go now into symptoms management. Yeah, but yeah. it's so difficult to manage the symptoms because they're so brutally scary that you want to do something about it, which is the compulsive element to it, which is to do a ritual or try and solve it. But also we talked about burnout and I said, there's no real one category for burnout. My burnout is OCD. Someone else's might be anxiety. Someone might be musculoskeletal issues because it affects them physically. If you are starting to feel that you're not quite got it and you're starting to feel low or you're becoming unproductive or you're slowing down or you just feel unhappy, that is going on that burnout journey and you can crash. So when my OCD hits, it's because I've gone so far beyond my tolerance level, I crash. When people get hospitalized because they've been so stressed at work for over a period of time, they've crashed. But you can see the signs and we all know it, but we're all, I think, a little bit guilty of trying to just push on through and maybe sometimes using stimulus to do that. I put a slide up about rowers. The rowing team that wins gets the adrenaline hit and goes on and celebrates. The rowing team that loses has lost that stimulus and they crash. We can push ourselves through that wall, yeah? Stimulus, stress response, and then going to negative. It made me think of, I look at our mind as a muscle. I mean, the brain is a muscle. It's just another muscle like it is your quadricep or your tricep muscle in your body. And if you go too hard, if you overuse it, you're actually creating a stress response and triggering the system in your body to kick out chemicals or even further kick out symptoms of something that you have that you normally manage via medication or other symptoms management. And then off you go. And there's something happened in our culture of the last, I don't know, 10 years where it's like hustle harder, like no days off. You see these memes out there and it contributes to a go, 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 or I have to give a lot of hours or it's six at night and Now I'm going to power through two to three hours. Now, I think that's fine if you know yourself and you know that you're a night person and your body clock responds to like, that's my best thinking time. For most of us, we're powering down at five or six. We want to go home, get into a dinner or family moment and start the unwind. And I know for me, if I work past seven, I am triggering a stress response in my body. And if I get addicted to that response and do it over and over and over again, I start to run on empty. And this is what you're saying is the road to burnout if you're not hitting the brakes on this. Absolutely. You get caught. So it becomes habitual, essentially. And a lot of these issues and a lot of these challenges that I experience, they're habitual. And by satisfying the concern, I'm basically making myself feel great because I've satisfied it. And my body goes, I like that. I want some more. I want some more. So we generally have to force ourselves to watch out for this and head it off at the pass. But as humans, don't we just wait until we fall over or wait until something goes bang before we then go, oh, I've pushed myself too hard. So it's so easy to talk about this and say, look after yourself, do some mindfulness, do some, but I don't feel ill. Okay. But trust me, this pressure cooker is building and building. I went camping recently, used one of those cookers that yeah, whistles. And once it gets hot enough, the water, it goes through and it whistles and you know it's ready. That's exactly what we do. We push and push and push and push until we whistle. 
It's too late. Being in my 30s has taught me the whistle. I didn't know the limit. In my 20s, I was just cruising on youth and strength and invincibility and hubris. And my 30s, I burnt out at work twice in a real way. Almost two and a half times, but definitely two. I was an athlete as a kid and as a teenager and the feeling of gassing out. You're trying to move and your brain is going move or run. I was at work and my brain was going, you're supposed to EFG or do the task. And my brain couldn't do it. And that was terrifying. And I stepped out and looked at the environment that I was in and how I was responding to all of that stimulus. And I was like, well, that's the worst response possible. And stepped out and had to put in really harsh solution measures in order to prevent that. They weren't a medication, but I'm not above it or beneath it. I would take it if I couldn't get something under management in a certain amount of time. What are other solutions you talked about? You were very pro-medication as a means to an end. Is that across a bridge? I'm looking at all these images of London bridges in this room. So bridges on the mind. But what are other solutions that people, leaders can think about to help teams avoid burnouts or individuals for themselves? You identify some symptoms of it. What do we do to prevent this? There's so many things that can be done and different people react to different ways of doing things. One of the things I always advocate is get yourself physically fit to get yourself mentally fit. Physically fit to mentally fit. Exercise, exercise. Really, really burn off the stuff, those chemicals that are circling around. That works. Give you some negative impact. Yeah, absolutely. Look after yourself in terms of food, sugar, caffeine, alcohol. Not great for you. The things that cause the swings. Yeah, and the things that you love, right? I mean, I love burgers. I love sugar. I love cake. I love red wine. But too much of it, is going to put me down the dark path. So moderation. So I'm not suggesting that businesses can necessarily do too much about that. But Hey team, stop drinking. Stop drinking. Start doing CLM implementations. Just kidding, that's bad advice. (laughs) But did we have that conversation though where people sometimes that aren't drinking alcohol feel alienated when everyone says, let's go down to the pub and celebrate and let's have a drink. And you feel, oh my God, don't feel included. So there's the physical help that we can give. I think we need to educate everybody about all the different conditions that people might have. Because I I learned something yesterday about menopause. Didn't know anything about it. And now I'm like, oh my God. I was talking to my wife. It's a condition. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about period pain. Also a condition. A condition. And she said, there's this example where a guy was fitted with a period machine. So he would feel what was regularly felt by women every month. And he crucified him. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. I was brought up my dad saying, hey, women have this once a month. Men have to shave. Go figure. Yeah, <laughs> and no. it's like, what Way now? different spectrums. And it's not even just the pain, but the menstrual cycle causes your fine-tuned machine of the human body, which is the smartest computer out there. It's Absolutely. smarter than tech. It's smarter than CLM people. It sends out hormones in this brilliant system where they all serve a big purpose. They come out strong. And let me tell you, it's beyond period pain for me. It's period violence. It's extreme. It's angular emotion. It's a strong clarity and intuition that for me, if it lines up with a full moon, I can't even talk to people because it's such strong intuition. It's almost overwhelming for me. It's wild. That's a condition that I have had to learn to manage and Know when it's coming so I have awareness. Not be duped every 28 days when it comes and go, oh, this again? That was like the first 10 years. And then learning to work with it 
and learning when not to push through it. And that was a big learning in my thirties was look, there's an energetic surge I get at the beginning of the cycle and it gives me a boost and I want to go do like a run or lift some weights. And once it drops, that is over and I want to lie down and I want to recover and let everything just be kind of flat off my feet and ride it out so that I'm not pushing through and hurting like my brain, my mood or other people with period violence, violent thoughts, violent words. So why am I 49 years old? That's the first time you heard that. Why am I 49 years old? I'm 50 on the 8th of November. And yesterday I heard about just how severe period pain can be for my wife. And you've just told me this. I think women stuff it. I think women are afraid to just drop it and speak from a place of truth in the world. I think we're afraid to be judged by it or put in a box. We'll we'll do this on another podcast that's not about legal ops. Yeah. But I think the female experience is a big mystery. I think it's an internal experience. It's both anatomically, physically, and metaphysically very internal. And I think it's a different experience for men, not suggesting they're not internal, but I think it's something we're just not attuned to talking about other than with ourselves and going, this is crazy, right? Like bad word to use. This is extreme, extreme symptoms. It can cause mental symptoms. It can be so stressful on the body if it hits, it can trigger a mental health syndrome or diagnosis that you manage. So it's another thing you have to manage against all the things. And I, I put a lot of management around it. And to your point, exercise is a key part of it and watching the diet before it hits. If you just pour alcohol, sugar and coffee all over it, the best stuff, it's not going to feel so yeah. good. So the question earlier was, what can we, what can business do about it? We've got to know about this. Now, if we haven't been taught this by parents and we haven't been taught this by school, the next best place to be educated, right, has to be the workplace. So I advocate compassion. Let's get to understand all these things that can impact on people. Let's have those conversations. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out there. Because if you don't know about this, you can't be compassionate towards someone when they basically present with a difficulty. So I generally want to know what is challenging people, what is affecting people. When I go into any situation work, I say, look, this is me. I have OCD. It destroyed me at times. And I got all these major issues with it. If you ever want to talk to me about anything, please do so. And I tell you what, all of my colleagues that work for me do ultimately come to me and say, hey, I can talk to you about this, can't I? It might not be straight away. I can talk to you about this, can't I? Because you're real. You've told me about your stuff. I'm going to tell you about mine. And then there's a completely different level of understanding there. We're bonded because of our openness and our inclusivity. And I just think businesses now need to focus much more on compassion, much more open conversation, except that we're made of the same stuff. We've just got different journeys. We've got different challenges and we've got different superpowers because of that. And let's find out what they are and not judge because we're white, we're black, we're mental, we're disabled, we're this, we're LGBT. We're human. We're just human. We've got these skills. And we got the same body underneath it all, beneath the colors and flavors and all the ethnicities and gender. It's the same DNA, everybody. It's the same species and there's so much to learn. And I love how hard you are elevating compassion as an actual tool. This is not fluff. No. These are the tool sets of the 21st century to manage dynamic knowledge workers who are half hybrid, half in the office, coming to terms with 
mental health conditions, whether they're temporary, situational, or deep and old. And they're awakening that for the first time in their life, but still want to come and be of service in their jobs. We need to make space for all of this and compassion as a tool. Curiosity paired with compassion. Absolutely. We talked about this earlier today in the opening session. Active listening is the tool. It's the tool to go in and absorb people's pains, what's working, what's not, and really understand people from an emotional index. Not just logic, not just facts, not the boxes you talked about earlier, not just, well, you're a female from New York who's LGBTQ. I'm like, stop with the boxes. You lost me at the first one. Talk to me about something I'm interested in and I struggle with first, my pain first. So the uh, thing for me is you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. A good manager doesn't... Isn't that a law of the universe that has a name? I don't know, but it's not utilized that often because we still treat people as a name and a cost on a spreadsheet, right? But I think we've got to get to a, a situation where a good manager doesn't actually have to do too much. So I always say to the people that work for me, if you're brilliant, I'm automatically brilliant. How can I make you brilliant? What do I need to do to get the most out of you? I've hired you for a position. I've hired you to do a role. What am I going to do to get the most out of you? And if they deliver, I don't have to deliver anything other than the compound amount of what they've all delivered for me. I then take that to my boss and say, hey, we've delivered as a team. And I haven't actually had to do too much about that other than get the most out, conduct that orchestra, as it were. So I think we've got to have this different way of thinking. We've got to be more human, more compassionate. We've got to hire people for the things that we need them for and then let them get on with it. Stop micromanaging, stop trying to take them down a completely different path when we've hired them for something specific. And we just generally got to have a different perspective on work. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of modeling it all. So I try not to model bonkers hours. And sometimes I have to switch my hours up and work on something at night or I'm on a deadline, but I'm very careful and conscious of my timestamps and how I model that to other people on my team, because whatever you do as a leader will be modeled. So I'm very vocal about getting to the gym, taking care of the physical self. I'm more vocal now that about taking care of the mental self and the fact I've seen a therapist for years. I don't lead with that ever because I'm still working through the stigma of that. And there were points when I was younger in career, I would never offer that up because I was afraid that the baby boomers would be like, I was afraid of the box. So it's something I'm still working on, but I've certainly in a private setting with someone, I'm talking privately to you and I'm pretending no one's listening. No, and I'm, no and one's I'm listening. Admitting all They've this. switched no, off now. Yeah, I've been they, speaking they for half an hour. They're off. <laughs> but in one-on-one settings, I'm very vocal about finding the channels in your life for accountability and your mental self, whether that's therapy or a coach or an exec coach or a life coach or a nutrition coach. These people start to help you tap on your patterns and get awareness over your own patterns and mirror it back to you. So we're talking about physical, mental. And I really believe that spiritual is another layer that we forsake. And I'm not going to come into the office and talk about the creator or the Bible or the Torah. No, but spirituality means having purpose. And like speaking to you twice today, your purpose jumps out of you across the table into me, into the audience and inspires people. And making sure that you're connecting with your higher self, even if it's like when you're at the gym, lifting the heaviest weight or in a stretch or being mindful or breathing quietly for one minute a day, 
that's you attempting to have higher purpose and higher self. And it's all in this pyramid I've been reading about lends to the ideal performance state. Right. And people think it's just all do the projects at work, crank out a thousand projects and I will be ideally performing. I'm like, no, it's self-mastery, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. You just made me think about, I went on a seminar when I was Marriott. The chief HR officer invited me on because I was really heavily talking about mental health and well-being then. And it was all about loneliness and how the pandemic had brought out the impact of loneliness on people. And they said, but and we dial this back to when we were in Stone Age, where we were communities and we needed each other and we relied on each other because we weren't the foe. It was the saber-toothed tigers and the animals out there that wanted to kill us up with the foe. So we all clubbed together and we all fought for each other. But as the years have gone by, we've done so much to remove ourselves from community and take away communication. We're doing it with our thumbs now rather than face-to-face. Yeah, a lot flipped to digital. Yeah, we've eroded that kind of sense of community and that being together. And The physical community sense yeah, has been... And it has implications, right? It's been outsourced to digital and that's, I think, a great source of loneliness. We should part two at some point on this because I think about this a lot. And one of my other tactics for winding down, for clearing my mind is to go no digital off the screen at a certain time of morning and or night when I'm most sensitive because I'm trying to wake up or wind down and get to bed. And the digital weirdly adds community. It takes you across the globe in that. Yeah. In exposure, but then we're lonelier in person and the pandemic really accentuated that. Yeah. Yeah. I like to kind of break things down into things that I can understand. I'm a simple brain and simple person. So Top Gun, they put that together because they'd lost their dogfighting skills. I think we're losing our communication skills. A hundred percent. Now I took my son out door knocking to get a job. He's 16 years old. He wanted to get a job. He was applying online. Now by trade, I basically putting big online systems and recruitment strategies for big organizations. So my wife and my son were saying, hey, you're the problem. All this online stuff is rubbish. No one gets back to me. So I said, right, okay, we'll go old school. I took him out with CVs on paper. Sorry, environment. Curriculum vitae. Curriculum vitae. There it is. AKA the resume. resume. And I said, let's go to the companies that you want to work for. Go to the restaurants, go to the old bars school. you want. So he said, I can't do it. I was like, Thomas, you're one of the most liveliest characters ever. He wants to like digitally. I can't do it. Yeah. It's wrong. It's rude. So come on, I'll do the first one with you. Did the first one. And he said, that was horrible. I said, come on, you do the next one. And he did. And he came out and he had a bit of a meltdown and said, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I looked at it and I said, this is my boy who I know really well, who's so lively, but he choked at that moment. So I just said, mate, what's going on? And he just felt so uncomfortable. And I put that down to the fact that he's lost some of his community. And he's lost some of those skills because he's not utilizing them. You go back to the brain as a muscle. If we don't use them, we lose them. I'm sorry, I don't want to sound like a rhyme. But if we don't use them, we lose them. And then we then rely on everything else that we've kind of learned. Okay, progress might be right. But that showed me that that was wrong. Not at the expense of connecting with others easily. Coming away from that community is sad. It's sad. And even just being able to podcast in a room with someone like this compared to, I'm usually doing them virtually. We move faster. There's physical energy. We're flying. We're going deeper. We have real eye contact. Like there are 
brain physiological responses to this yeah. that makes life so much more interesting. Uh, it's fantastic. People stop asking to work in a hybrid workplace, come into the office, business gets done faster. Hack, hack. I tell everybody yeah. that I have to come in five days a week. Yeah. I cannot work from home. When business is in session, I'm there. Yeah, I have to get up, get out, put my suit on, not my suit, but my work clothes for the day. I need to be around people. I need to be with my audience. I need to be on my stage. Because I wasn't for so long through the pandemic, I fell over. I need to be with my people. So when someone says, oh, look, we've got this great hybrid working environment. So a couple of jobs I've applied for recently. Oh, you can work two days a week if you want. I said, well, they let me in five. And I'm weird because I want to work in the office every, I want to commute. I want to get on the train. People don't want to do that, but I have to. Otherwise I'm going to have problems. So this is the compassion piece as well. Let's ask people, how are we going to get the most out of you? How are we going to get you to do your best work? And let's create the conditions for that. And even if that's on an individual basis and there's cost involved with that, who cares? Because the cost of losing someone because of burnout or mental health issues or physical issues brought on by stress is so much more expensive. And I just got to talk clock. There was someone on stage earlier, I'm terrible with names. I need to say it 50 times before I can remember. But there's a, someone on stage talking about, it's quite a lonely profession as a legal it ops is. director. There's a lot of one-on-ones or one man or one woman shows. But what did you do? You came together came as together. a community yeah. called Clock and you solved problems together. And you should always have someone to call. It's the guarantee Absolutely. of being a community member here. So that's the solution. Yeah. We've got to get back to more community and businesses need to have more community We need more people involved. Everyone's got to have an equal voice. Everyone who works for me, no matter what they do, they've got an equal voice in the solution. And if someone comes up with a great idea and I take that forward into a solution, I tell my boss, that wasn't me, that was them. I love that. Because I want them to get the credibility because I'm being judged, can I manage people? Exactly. I'm not being managed. Can For I do credit. a spreadsheet? No, no. Oh yeah, I did the spreadsheet. That was me. It's lifting them up, aligning them with their superpowers, which is one of your takeaways Absolutely. at the end of your talk. And just being a channel to that. I'm just going to line up all the things I've heard today. It's being a channel, helping your team as a leader channel their superpowers. It's compassion as a skill and a tool. It's curiosity as a skill and a tool. You do not have to read the DSM to do what we're talking about, to show up for teammates and watch for burnout. You just have to listen with compassion and be curious and let them teach you in a few minutes. And now you know one thing more and you know how to guide them to do what they need. And it's community behind all of this and making sure that we're plugged into meaningful communities in person, hopefully in some places in life so that we're hitting on all these systems. Colin, everything I just said starts with a C. That's the second time today I've gone on an alliteration bender. Fantastic. But I'd like to thank you, A, for joining us at the Clock Summit. Absolute pleasure. And speaking your wisdom and coming on the podcast to wrap some more. Thank you. Absolutely pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time. 